Welcome back to the Road to Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rhodes. As I get the ball rolling today, I just wanted to take a quick second, give you all a shout out here in year two of the Roads to Wealth podcast. I promised you all some exciting guests. I'd set some lofty goals. I'm less than a year in. We've had Brian Scudamore of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneurs on Fire, Brendan Hufford, the SEO experts in the industry. Another 10-ish podcast reviews. Things have really built and have really started to get fun here on my end. Now, we're not even halfway through the year yet, and I'm almost halfway to my goal of 100 podcast reviews. I would love, the sales guy in me would love to get halfway through the year and bump up that number just due to the love and the support that you all are showering me with. So if you haven't, uh, I would really appreciate you taking 30 seconds and leaving me a review with whatever platform you're tuning in from. Understand that you guys are not tuning in to listen to the intro or my voice in your ears. Rather, it's these high caliber guests that we've had success inviting on and interviewing Today's guest belongs in that same crowd, the same caliber as the folks that I rattled off earlier. I wrote down his bio as sort of prep for this, and it would take me 50 some odd minutes to run through his credentials. I actually use his journey, his roadmap as sort of a guide for the conversation today. And so I won't spend much time here in the warm up, but the short of it is this. Daniel Snow seems to be a jack of all trades and a social media wizard with more than 20 million followers across his media platforms today. He started his entrepreneurial career as a sophomore in college, and by the end of his senior year, the man had built a social media empire that was making more than $100,000 a day. You'll hear it in the show, but the end of his senior year, they had hit more than $8 million that year. His early adoption, the skills that he had built across these platforms, put him in a position to capitalize on several business opportunities that we explore today outside of the social media growth. Both he and his pup, Huli, who makes a surprise appearance about halfway through the show, join us today to cover as much as I possibly can in the hour that we blocked off. What does it take to grow a social media page on Instagram or on Twitter? Is it better to build or to buy social media pages? When you have a substantial enough following, you have some momentum on your page, what are the ways that you could or that you should be monetizing that following? Then what does it take to run a page like Rap TV on Instagram? In my bio, I forgot to mention that Dan owns Rap TV. It's these types of interviews that really get my juices flowing, that really keep me up at night studying and reading and ensuring that I'm sharp and that I'm ready to go. I hope that after listening to this, that you all get as much out of this interview as I did, as I am a dinosaur on social media and learned a ton from Dan. Without further ado, I bring to you Dan Snow. It's the road of the wealth. Yeah. I do it for health. Yeah. For my kids and my spouse. Here we are, Daniel. I'm a 150, 175 ish recorded episodes in at this point. I've released probably a third of those. And man, I'm not sure I've met someone with so many moving and diverse pieces. 
there's there's no way that I'm going to be able to cover everything that I want to cover all of this ground here in an hour ish. But I'm definitely going to try, man. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've been really excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm confident, and this is interesting. Just the folks that tune into the podcast, I think we are sort of your target audience, and I I bet there's 95 percent of my listeners have engaged with some type of content that you, your platform has shared here over the last 12, 18 months, they are less familiar with who's behind the content, which is which is kind of interesting, right? And so for the folks that aren't aware of your journey, sort of what you have going on, I mean, I'd ask for the long version of your story. And you start somewhere in that sophomore year of college timeframe and catches up to speed on what you have going on today. Yeah. So I got into the whole social media, digital advertising space when I was a sophomore in college. Started out literally just by seeing my friend at the gym. He told me he was making $20 a week time on Twitter. So I was blown away. I did the math. I was like, oh, you're making $3,000 a year on your phone? Like, There's no way. I literally left the gym, made a Twitter account, and that's how I got into the space. Mm. So after that, I just started mass following people, following people, unfollowing people. Did that for about two days until I figured out that Twitter has a limit on how many people you can follow, their whole algorithm with follow, unfollow ratio, all this stuff. So I, I had to have creative ways on how I, how I started to grow this following. Mm. So I did that for you know a few more months, started doing a lot of giveaways. Some giveaways I started were just my own stuff. And then I started reaching out to all the different kind of places I thought would be good for my audience, be the fitness audience at the time while I had a fitness audience. So I reached out to my favorite stores like Vitamin Shop and Quest Nutrition Bars. And you know who, who wouldn't want a free giveaway for a box or two boxes of stuff? So everyone, everyone was interested. And I kind of positioned the giveaways so that the people I was choosing as a winner were the other large accounts helping me promote and maybe a few other people. So I was like hacking it in, in, in a way. And yeah, you know, within six months, I, I had gained like 30,000 followers on Twitter. This was back in 2013. It wasn't as big as, as it is now. So at the time, you know, I could, could have been 10 million followers. I was very, very proud of myself. And yeah, how I started really speeding the process up was, like I said, I mentioned I was just focusing on fitness, the fitness niche. I expanded beyond that, started doing more kind of like comedy accounts. We created a parody of the Wolf of Wall Street, and that one blew up which then allowed me to create a bunch of other kind of different niche based pages. And, and it kept getting, we kept building them faster and faster and faster because we quickly, I quickly amassed this network. So then I learned how to monetize the followings on social media, figured out a lot of other people that had these large followings, didn't know how to monetize them. So I got into apps, had a few apps that were really successful and paid and free games, music apps, stuff like that. And then I built a self-serve advertising platform that found all these different various apps, affiliate marketing stuff, lead gen. So like I mentioned, became very good at figuring out how to monetize. And I brought all those offers to a bunch of people who were just like me, had large followings. And that platform quickly blew up during the summer going into my senior year of college, just going to the library every day as this platform was growing and making tons of money. And that was awesome. So by the time that summer ended, I think we were doing like one to 200,000 a month in revenue. I'm not, like, I'm not being a dentist anymore. And then I focused on that platform. By the time I graduated in May, we, the platform was doing 100000 a day. Then got into e-commerce, started launching my own brands after, you know, we had thousands of people on the platform. So I was able to see all the data, 
how people were, were, were using specific content for specific pages, which influencers were driving most traffic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, leverage all that, start running our own campaigns for our own brands, did that for three and a half years. We're doing about 25 million a year in revenue, sold the brands in 2019 to focus on our agency, which is what I figured out what I wanted to focus on for the next five to 10 years because I really enjoyed growth, working with me, you know, networking with new people, um, applying our processes to a bunch of different brands, a bunch of different verticals. And that's where we are today. So we have, we're pretty much full service at this point. We have a creative production studio with phenomenal creators, photo, video, et cetera, you know, retention team, ad buying all platforms, web design team. And that's what I'm focused on as well as Rap TV, which I always forget to, it doesn't really go along with the trajectory of what I said. So it's like hard to like throw it in there. Yeah. <laughs> Still trying yeah, to figure sidebar. it out. Yeah. But Rap TV came along somewhere along the line. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to touch on it, man. I, I, I introduced you with lots of moving pieces. And I think the story there sort of reaffirms that, <laughs> that, that message of, I don't know how you keep a straight line. You stay on the path, man. You just got so many moving pieces. It's incredible. I want to circle back and unpack some of the, some of this cool shit that you've talked about. But before I do that, I want to just earn you a little bit of street cred here at the very top. And can you talk about sort of the overall scale of your operation today, whatever you're comfortable with as far as number of pages, followers, employees, monthly revenue from your efforts, whatever you have. I'm just interested in sort of the the scale that you're now at. Yeah. So our agency, after only 18 months, we're up to about 75 employees full time, which is rapidly growing. I expect to get to over hundred in the next few months. Our rap TV business we have about 10 people full-time there and we have a bunch of different kind of agencies and freelancers we hire. We have over 20 million followers on social media. We're growing about 75,000 followers a day across the entire platform, you know, whether it be Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, et cetera, combined. We launched our website in May, which is now last month, we got over 100,000 website visitors. Yeah, man, I, I want to talk about here at the end of this, buying, selling, growing, monetizing those accounts. I'll, I'll unpack that here in a bit, but I'm going to sort of reel us back to the very beginning in that sort of sophomore year frame. You started sophomore year, you, your buddy, you guys were scaling on Twitter. Was that initial page a personal page? Was that something that you were sort of just trying to build a personal brand or had you already found out like, I'm going to do some sort of meme or aggregate page for videos and photos, whatever that was. So the first account was fitness shredded. It was a, oh, yeah, sick. <laughs> a fitness motivation account, quotes, mainly quotes, stuff like that. And I kept that like the next one was like a fitness girls account. I realized people like girl, hot girls, they like fitness, might as well join it too. And then the next one was a fitness humor account. So when I really started ramping up the growth was when I started getting out of that fitness niche. How many people wanted, I had a good following, but not, it, it would be hard to kind of get that rocket ship of followers for people just following fitness accounts. And I got that when I, when I launched the Wolf of Wall Street kind of parody account. So it took six months to gain th like 30,000 followers. And then it took two weeks to gain 30,000 for the Wolf of Wall Street account, maybe a month to gain 100,000. What do you think the difference? I mean, it's not saturated. Like there's not enough people there in that realm. Yeah, I think I realized with Twitter, people always want to hop on, like follow whatever's new. Mm. This is just not something that like has a very wide net, but like not, you know, it takes a special type of person who just wants to see fitness motivation in their timeline versus like Wolf of Wall Street. Like that was new, exciting. No one was following it. We had funny, relatable tweets, stuff like that. All the stuff people want to follow on social media. 
So it's just a lot easier to gain followers. You mentioned your buddy, and this is several years back. Your buddy is already making money uh, monetizing his Twitter following. You obviously set out on, oh shit, I could do something similar. I've had my Twitter account for Roads to Wealth a little over a year. I'm not a big Twitter guy, so I'm still trying to figure out what the hell even this ecosystem or world looks like, but I've never had the opportunity to monetize that page. And so I'm curious, what were the avenues to monetization? How are you making money out of that account? So the first thing was through mylegs.com is where a lot of people use. It was essentially ended up being a similar platform to why I ended up creating a few years down the line. It was just a platform where advertisers would offer their offerings to people like myself on a per click basis. So every every click we drove, they would get they would pay us per click. And that was it. After that, I went to another or something called Cha Cha. I think it was owned by Yahoo at the time. It was a content hub similar to like a BuzzFeed, they'd pay you per click once again. So I kept doing this this pay-per-click until eventually I created my own kind of content website where I got Google AdSense and Taboola and all these other ways to monetize, which is what I realized those content hubs were doing. So I did it for myself and we were able to scale that a lot quicker. And yeah. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit about the scale and some of the things that you were implementing and how to grow that, the initial few pages. Uh, you talked about, I was liking, retweeting, following, unfollowing folks. And I mean, you hit a wall there. And I think there's just some sort of criteria or a sort of governor and that you can't go past a certain amount of follows in a certain day or 24 hour period. You talked about the giveaways and I, I was interested here because the roads to wealth sort of social media, we do giveaways of books and classes and all sorts of things that my guests offer. It's just themselves. They'll send me some shit and I can give it away to my listeners to share their episode. And I'm curious, how were you framing up the, I guess one, were those giveaways from other products or were those things that you owned? So I think you mentioned Quest and Muscle Milk. Were you reaching out to them and saying like, hey, I want to do a giveaway with your product. Can you send me some stuff? I was reaching out to them. Check that out. Okay. And with your giveaway, what was your message? Like, How did you frame the giveaway? Was it like share like this, tag three friends? How were you maximizing that opportunity? Not tag three friends, but it was mainly just like share, like, must be following to win. Mm. That's it. And I read you're doing some, the profits that you would make from the giveaways or from the sort of, from the initial efforts you had in the monetization, you would circle back and try to buy paid spots and bigger pages. Is that right? Yeah. So just to amplify, because I realized that was the best, best and fastest way I was gaining followers. So just trying to amplify that giveaway would be beneficial to me. At some point, so we're, we've talked a little bit about your growth, the initial stages, you start learning a, a lay of the land. At some point, you've built a following, you start making money through the affiliate programs. Catch me up to speed on the two-sided marketplace and how you ended up building that. There were affiliates on one side, businesses on the other. How did we get to that point? So I got to that point through, once again, I, I figured out how to monetize my own following. So I essentially w- built found all these different advertisers and networks and whatnot. And at the time, the big reason why people didn't want to go through that is because they had to figure out how to build the website, how to create a landing page, how to design it, how to, fit, how, how to implement tracking, all things that are, that are hard for you know, a 16-year-old with a million followers. Like He just wants to click, click publish, tweet, post, and collect money. He doesn't want to do all that stuff. He doesn't want to test the offers. He doesn't want to test the creatives. So we just made it very simple. We did all the heavy lifting. So the fact that all I have to do is, you know, make a tweet or make a post and and get the revenue share. 
I'm kind of guiding you here, but I found in my research that you guys started working with some pretty big affiliates and celebrity type folks within that platform. One, are you able to name drop anybody? And I think the real question that I had was, how did you go about landing the bigger names, right? It's easy to get folks that want to make 20, 30 bucks, but I found that you had some weight within your platform. And I'm curious how you went about capturing the larger clients, the the folks that were actually moving the needle for you. Yeah. So we had some people like Cardi B, Rob Kardashian, Amber Rose, Black China, stuff like that. How we went about it was that we actually were buying shout outs for the offers on the platform. And after enough shout outs, maybe around five or so, literally told them, you know, there's a reason why we're, we're buying these shout outs because I'm making a lot of money off of you. Mm. You know, you could, you, could, you could just become an affiliate and post as much as you want to and make more money. So money speaks for itself type of thing. Clearly, if we keep buying, we're making money and it's worth free. It's worth a shot. Now you can post whenever, whenever you want. You have the freedom to do that as well. You don't have to wait for me to come to you. So that was a big way how we, how we blew the platform up really quickly. So these celebrities, I mean, they, they offer paid spots in their social media and you guys were reaching out. You would buy a spot in their platform. They would give you a shout out, your page a shout out. You would use your affiliate link or your offer. They would share that. People would engage with that and you would crush. And you did that five, six, seven, eight times. And then you circle back and said, listen, Cardi B or whoever this is, I've bought eight spots from you and here's the revenue that I've made. Why are you not doing this yourself? Am am I hearing that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other piece of this, and I bring this up because I had Nathan Hirsch, who's started two businesses. He currently runs the Outsource School. He did something very similar to what I'm about to talk you through. But I found that you also offered up this sort of incentive to where if an affiliate went out and signed up another affiliate, that the original affiliate one would start to get shared revenue or or compensation from the affiliate they signed up. Uh, Am I lying to you here? Did I read that right? That's correct. And yeah, that was another big thing. Obviously, you know, it's like a weird thing with that. Like, unless you're getting something from referral, like it's like a thing where not only do you might want to refer them, but you might not want to refer them out of many kind of psychological reasons. But if you now have that monetary incentive, now people completely open up their network well, especially once they start seeing how much passive income they make, they were making, they really went hard after it. At its very peak, this two-sided marketplace, at its peak, how many, and I'm just looking for ballpark numbers here, again, trying to show scale. At its peak, how many businesses did you have on one side, affiliates did you have on the other? I mean, it sounds like you're running a, a legit business here. We probably had 50 to 100 advertisers the most at one point, at one point of almost 4,000 affiliates. Still in college. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I want to spend a second there, man. At this point, if I heard you right, you're making something like one to $2 million a year and you're in college. I've interviewed dozens of guests that have started businesses in high school in their early years of college. I think you're the first person that stayed the course. Everybody else, the guys from 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Dylan Oglin, they all dropped out of high school or college and said, I found something, let's pursue this, right? And they went all the way in and there's this conversation they have to have with their parents and with themselves. And there's, you're making boatloads of money, what people go to school to make and you finished the course. Why? We ended up doing, I think it was about 8 million art my senior year of college. Jesus. <laughs> I stayed the course because 
I only had like it, it really all started, you know, to the point where I was doing stuff, you know, my junior year, but it wasn't like to the point where it's like crazy money, you know, it was like, wow, this is awesome. But it really only that huge kind of avalanche started, like I mentioned, this summer going into my senior year of college. So it's like I invested three years. I'm not going to quit before I even see like how long this thing is going to last, et cetera, et cetera. And I was pretty much full time still working on the platform while being, you know, I could still do both. Obviously, my grades suffered a little bit, but I thought I was able to do both and all. Therefore, like, why quit? It's not like I, I, it would give me significantly more free time just because I was already in class, literally still working on my platform, stuff like that. So I just figured out a way to get it done. I honestly never, it never even occurred to me that I should quit college. You had to have been the most popular guy on campus. I had to be like Bezos walking around, right? Like you made 8 million bucks your senior year. I didn't really tell anyone. I was going to ask that. So did you, I read you got a house. Did your family, after did your, graduated. after you graduated? Well, did your, I bought it, I bought it while I was still in college, but I ended up, you know, closed after, right after college. Month yeah. After. Were friends, like close friends, family, I, I can't imagine what I would do with, you know, millions of dollars in college. I can, and I don't want to talk about it on the podcast, but <laughs> did you have people coming to you and asking, like, I'm trying to get a sense of the environment. That's a, it's a tough thing to stick through. All my friends, all, my whole fraternity ended up working for me. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I didn't really tell anyone many people numbers or anything like that. You know, if anything, it, it like made me feel uncomfortable sharing versus, you know, some other people, most people maybe flaunt it, this, that, that wasn't me. My lifestyle didn't change at all. My lifestyle still probably hasn't changed at all. So yeah, I'm not the type that type of person that likes to like rub it into everyone's face, so to speak. I'm going to fast forward just a sec, but you graduate and I have written down, you decide to go sort of Daniel 2.0 on them. Like uh, you had all this data, right? Yeah. Who needs affiliate marketing help? Who is marketing who was marketing at the time, what they were marketing, what everyone was willing to pay. Like you had all this data and thought, you know, I could probably do most of this myself. And you take off on sort of a, an additional venture and you start laying in additional components to your business. I'm kind of hinting at the, the manufacturing side of this and the products and the shipping. Can you talk about this a little bit? Yeah. So I kind of saw like long-term, I thought you know, like for the platform, at its core to be like a true self-serve ad platform. We need to build a bunch of different tech, do many things, which I still think could have been done. But like my partner time was the more technical component to the business. And I don't know if he was too motivated to build that. So I kind of saw the e-commerce route, something I could build a long-term sustainable business, still do a lot of the growth and e-commerce. You know, the other thing is what with our platform, we were always capped by advertisers. They can only handle so much traffic, so many sales, et cetera, which caused friction and problems because people want to keep running it, make money, et cetera. When we ran our own companies, we could scale it up as much as we wanted to. So I was able to scale more in e-commerce actually than even through the platform, which I never would have thought. You know, our, our first year in e-commerce, believe it or not, we did about 22 million in revenue. So we grew crazy fast. The challenges you're talking about, man, it's so interesting. I had a Craig Mount from Nerdy Nuts on the podcast. He's part of the Trends Group. And he's making, at the time, he was making like 500,000 bucks a month in peanut butter. 
and he's just crushing. And at the end of the podcast, I mean, we talked about how he was launching on TikTok and he had all these su- supreme inspired drops. And he talked about their affiliate program and how it was really a primary dri- driver in their success and actually backed up. And at the end of the podcast said, I've told my affiliates to stop posting. Like I can't handle the demand anymore. So it's interesting to hear like that is a problem most experience, right? And you're, uh, you had advertisers, you had manufacturers slowing you down and saying, guys, we can't handle this type of traffic. Stop using that. And yeah, it's interesting to hear that sort of re-echoed at a larger scale. What types of products were you manufacturing? I mean, what, what did you get into? Our own brands. That's right. So the first one was Actually, the very first one was just like jewelry. So like bracelets, rings, necklaces, stuff like that. But the one that really blew up was a company called Goat Case. It was like a phone case that can stick to things, essentially. Stick to glass, stick to wood, stick to tile, whatever. And we found out a way to allow these different capabilities to to resonate with, with, with a specific vertical. So like stick it to a mirror, you know, the gym enthusiast. Now you can take pictures of yourself hands-free, take pictures of your progress, your workouts, in the kitchen following recipes, in the mirror following a makeup routine or hair, whatever. So we, we kind of made it really, we showed people how to use it in your daily life. And that kind of campaign just blew up. You're talking to somebody and probably lots of listeners that have never done this before. How difficult was that process to go about? I'm assuming you had to go into like, what is this Alibaba and find a vendor and then slap a logo on it. And like, there's a process you had to follow there. How difficult was that? And maybe even talk us sort of high level through what that process looked like. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a little intimidating. Obviously the hardest part is just like the intimidation factor, like, especially when you never dealt with like China and import, like it's overwhelming for sure at first. Once you're just comfortable with that, it's not that hard. But so we, we, to give you an idea, we, we started the business in July of 2016. September, we visited our, our manufacturer in China. That was cool. Both my partner and I got pretty sick. Hard to get used to the food and how it affects you and whatnot. But yeah, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, you know, the hardest part is really just getting comfortable with the cultural difference. Hardest part for us was like st- you're staying up, you're working all day throughout the day. And then you have to stay up late to talk to the manufacturer. And then it's just like the days are crazy long when you, at first when you're like doing everything. But when we started to get a team, it, it helped a lot. Once you have the product, your logo, the specs figured out, are they shipping just an ass load of them to you? And then you're boxing them and shipping them to the orders? Are they drop shipping? How is that handled? Like you've got the product and the specs figured out. You have your program in place. Are then they getting you the product or what's, what's the flow of that look like? So at first we, we, we drop ship just to validate the idea. Yeah. And then after we validated the idea, that's when we started branding it, putting our logo on and we had 50,000 units on the way from China without even a warehouse yet. So I had to find a warehouse, find a space, find employees to pack it, found that, rerouted the product from DHL. And yeah, we started you know, fulfilling from New Jersey mm. after you know, maybe a week or two drop shipping. Does each product that you created, the goat case, the women's fitness uh, wear line, like did each one of those entities, did they have their own LLC or become their own business? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Check that out. I mean, that's sort of venture one and I don't mean to fast forward and skip over some of the juicy details, but I want to make sure that I have some time to unpack the other cool side of this business. 
as a sort of catch-all here to end sort of segment one, this this first business, you've created this sort of end-to-end system that you were able to build. You learned your customers for several years, built the products for them. And if you look at today's portfolio, what you have going on, and you gave us sort of an overview at the very top, it seems that you've become hyper-focused with your efforts. And you used to be doing so much affiliate programs, a two-sided marketplace, the manufacturing, several subsidiaries, drop shipping, and then regular ship. You had all these pieces. It seems that you've become hyper-focused. And like you said, you sold most of your brands, most of your handles in 2019. I don't believe you do the manufacturing of products anymore. My first question is sort of what happened to the business? And then talk us through the transformation and how you've gotten to this point. Yeah, so we sold our e-commerce brands in 2019, Goat Case Pro, Skull, stuff like that. So yeah, we realized that our strength is the advertising and the growth and the marketing, the building great products, R&D, all that stuff was not our best skill set. And we realized that there's like an inflection point of brands that eventually if, you're, if you don't have a phenomenal product, phenomenal customer experience, all that, you can't keep growing the brand. And if you can't keep growing the brand at that velocity, then that brand isn't all that valuable. So we, we decided to double down on what we were best at. And that's why we wanted to focus on the agency. But you kept rap. Is that right? Oh yeah. So rap wasn't like, I don't lump that into like the e-commerce brands. Yeah. 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 What about the handle or what about that ecosystem had you intrigued or, or asked you, sort of kept you, asked you to keep that, right? Like, why'd you keep that in your portfolio? Yeah, I, I just thought that it had so much potential. Like, there wasn't anyone big on social media really tapping into the rap culture. I saw rap just blowing up and so much opportunity for that brand to grow. So, kept that on the side and continued to grow it for five or six years now. And it's really been blowing up. I would say 2020 has really been like the inflection year for, for Rap TV. I want to spend the rest of our sort of 20-ish minutes here talking through how you buy, grow, monetize the social that you're the sort of overall portfolio you have today. And I want to start with a very broad sort of high level question of what does the perfect social media account look like for you? Are are they massive accounts with 2 million followers? Are they small accounts that are showing sort of upward trajecting numbers with growth potential? If you were to evaluate a list of handles, what does the perfect account look like for you? I think what I'm asking is, you know, as you evaluate your accounts and you're thinking about purchasing, what numbers are important to you? Engagement is the number one most important thing. And I would say engagement, if it represents like a specific audience, like a broad comedy account or, you know, accounts that kind of take out leverage trends, like the Tinder blog or stuff like that, like aren't all that valuable just because they don't have a defined audience, but for rap or a soccer page or a basketball page, like you clearly know what, who your followers are. Therefore it's a lot more valuable of an audience. Because advertisers know your audiences and now they're willing to pay premium to be on it. Engagement rate being the primary number, do you have a rule of thumb? And I mean, there's variables all over the board and we could talk about those, but do you have a rule of thumb as far as, oh, that's a, that's a pretty good engagement rate? You're in like the two to 5% engagement rate, like for likes, that's good. But comments are also really important. Like if you're getting, if your likes are great, comments suck, like there's something sketchy going on. 
means you probably don't have a great like engaged community. If you have each post thousands of comments, there's people, you know, actual discussion happening. That's when, you know, there's a real captivated audience. They care about what you're posting. They're not just clicking like. So the comments I, I find are the most important part to, to figure out how engaged an audience is. Something along those same lines, and I think you're hinting at this, but as I was looking through your portfolio, it looked like there were several handles that had overlapping followers. They were kind of in the same vein or vertical, right? Uh, rap, world star, right? Like they're, they're these running in the same lane. And would you recommend for a potential buyer to try to stay in the same vertical so they can collab with one another, those pages? Or are you looking for sort of 10 or 15 perfectly uncorrelated, diverse pages, right? Like, are you looking for a gardening, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a rap page, or do you want four pages that are in that rap vertical? Or for rap TV, right? We're, we're trying to focus just on rap. So we're trying to own that audience completely. Why? Because it's a lot easier to operate that business. We get one advertiser, we can get the most of it if we have a large audience, right? They, they can post on Instagram, they can post on Twitter, on Facebook, Snapchat, SMS blast versus like these, a bunch of these smaller audiences. It's harder to scale up a single advertiser. You need bigger teams and not necessarily generate as much revenue. So we try to focus just on, just on the one genre right now. I was, I was hoping that was going to be the answer because, man, it would be a son of a bitch to go figure out what do the gardeners like, what do the Brazilian jiu-jitsu's like, and then you have to, I mean, you have to become an expert at like 12 different verticals, right? When, when you talk about a stock portfolio, they want 15 uncorrelated stocks, but as you build this portfolio, the idea is to try to stay in the same vein because then, like you said, not only are you better understanding your followers, but as you pitch to advertisers and affiliates, they know exactly who your brand is, exactly who's following you across all of your pages. I love that idea. Are you monetizing these the same way these pages that are in your portfolio now, the same way that we discussed earlier with your original Twitter following and that you're giving shout outs, you're running affiliate programs? Is it the same monetization strategy today? Yeah. We don't have an affiliate platform for like Rap TV. Yeah. But so it's a, a little different, but. Yeah, the monetization strategy mainly is, at least for Rap TV, we, we work with a lot of record labels, independent artists. I mean, because the platform's so big, it's we're the biggest for rap. So it's like, where do people go to get their music or brand in front of people? They come to us. So it's like a lot easier now. But yeah. Do you, and this is going to be my hardest question I ask you. I understand there's lots of variables that you have to take into consideration as you evaluate a, a potential purchase. The question I want to ask is, is there a rule of thumb that you have when you're looking to potentially go in and acquire a platform or a page? What is the typical or average cost? Do you have a rule of thumb and engagement rate 2% equals this, or this many followers, every 10,000 followers is 500 additional bucks. Like, Do you have a rule of thumb to follow and how to properly evaluate and know how much to pay for a page, if that question makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I honestly not very involved in that and like buying and selling of like organic social media pages for quite a number of years mm-hmm. and Twitter and having it on Twitter and Instagram are a bit different. Like it depends if you're leveraging it just to make money, then like you could typically like most businesses, it's like a multiple of, of monthly revenue. Mm. And then if you've had any added costs, whatever you factor that in, usually for what I found on social media is that people will try to break even within six to 12 months. 
That's good insight. But because they're a lot more high risk, right? Like you could buy a page for a lot of money and it can get banned tomorrow. Mm. Happened to many, many, many people and they got lost a ton of money. So it's like a high, it's like a high, it really is high risk because unless you're buying like a premium media company, I want to say like rap TV, like there's not many of those on social media. If you're just like, you know what I mean? So I'm making something that you're talking about like, or just a regular like meme account or something like that. Like those are just high risk. A lot of the content they're posting is not theirs. They don't know if it gets copyrighted, flagged. You don't know like history of the account. So it's just really risky. Yeah, man, that's great insight. And almost, I did not send you my notes, but almost as if I did, my follow-up question here was going to be involving risk. And one of my favorite posts that I've read from you was in the trends group. And you were talking about the risk associated to this type of acquisition. And well, uh, if you were to try and buy a handle or a page, the underlying risks that's accepted with that. And I'm hoping that maybe you could high level talk through some of the risks that are involved there. Obviously, you talked about the page being shut down by that platform. We've had folks in the past that have YouTube and Facebook pages talk about things like that. There are other sort of risks there as far as someone could reclaim that page right after you've acquired it with their original email and things like that. Can you maybe high level just kind of share some of other risks that are associated with this? Yeah, definitely getting an account hacked after you buy is a big risk. I would say between that and really just getting banned because you don't know the history of an account with like DMCAs or takedowns, whatever, like those are really the two big risks. I've had dozens. Or I guess another one, just having an account, take over over account and you find out all the engagement's fake. Like that's something I've seen before too. Yeah, bought, bought a bunch of bots. Yeah. Yeah. I've had lots of sort of micro acquirers or angel investors on the show talk about spreading your capital across multiple assets versus betting big. And the question I want to ask you is if you had $50,000 to invest, right? If I had $50,000 to invest, am I better off spreading this sort of $5,000 across 10 pages or $10,000 across five pages, like spreading this across multiple assets? Or if you had 50K, would you be better off? Would you prefer to go bet big on one or bet big on two? I'd probably one or two, just because if you have a bunch of small accounts, like if you have one account with a million followers or five accounts with 200K, it's hard to get people to want to buy off a smaller account than it is a big one. If people don't want to spend $20, $50 on a shout out, because all right, right, it probably can't track that revenue, whatever you're driving, and it just doesn't move the needle. So you just don't get many people who are interested in, in working with, with you from a revenue standpoint versus a bigger account. Like you can really drive traffic. And it's once you're bigger, it's also easier to grow because more people are liking it, sharing your post, et cetera, et cetera. So it's faster to grow that as well. And even just from a management standpoint, right? Like it's probably more expensive to have to hire me five people to run accounts than it is to be one or two to run the bigger account. Mm. I think just to piggyback off that, because I think those are great points. And I heard you talk in another podcast about if you, once you have a big account with lots of engagement, like you said, deeper, once you have you know a million plus followers, the momentum, the acceleration that you have, it's significantly different than when you had 150 followers and the reach that you have then. So once you have a giant page or a uh, sort of core page, as you buy additional assets or you build additional pages, if they're in the same vertical, 
you can start to cross pollinate within your own portfolio and you can use your bigger page to promote and shout out your smaller pages. And then that's all intra your portfolio. So it's free engagement, it's free sponsorship, free traffic to your smaller pages from your bigger page, which I thought was a, is a fantastic idea. Yeah, absolutely. That's how we've grown a lot of our, our pages on the other platforms like Twitter, TikTok, et cetera. Mm. We talked earlier about some of the growth hacks that you were implementing early on to grow your sort of first set of pages. We talked about the liking, engaging with other posts. It's very time consuming. It sucks, but it captures organic traffic. We talked about the collaboration with yourself within your own portfolio just then. Collaboration with others that are in a similar vertical, a similar brand with shout outs and giveaways that are free. I thought that was great. And then this sort of paid potential spots where as you gain revenue and you build, start to build a bit of momentum, you funnel that revenue back into paid shout outs and continue to grow, invest in the business. My question to you, with those three or four steps there, ways to grow, for the folks that are taking a first swing at this, I'm very interested in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu myself. Let's say I jump off this, this episode and I start looking down this social media ecosystem. And after the call, I go and acquire you know, two, three Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu pages, three, two or three Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu accounts. With the three or four steps that I just rattle off there, these sort of growth hacks that we've talked about, am I getting 80% of the way there? Are there any additional hacks or growth tactics that right out of the gate, a first timer should be implementing this and that will sort of help you gain momentum and traction? The number one most important thing is consistency. If you're not posting X amount of times per day, per week, you're not sticking to that, you're not going to have success. And I think that's with anything. But like a lot of the times people don't follow it. They're not consistent. That's the most important thing. That's it. How many times are you posting in a day? On just the rap Instagram, that's one account out of the 20 we have. Probably posting 20, about 30 a day. No shit. So across the platform, maybe you know 150 times a day. Wow. That's a lot of posts. Yeah, man. That's that's an insane amount of posts. And like you said, you've got a you've got a big team, so you're not coming up with twenty-five posts yourself. Have you found there is a break-even point or a point of sort of where you start gaining lots of momentum? Like when you get over eight posts, then you start getting lots of traction or you hit more followers. It also depends what your brand like where your page is, right? Like a brand, like an e-commerce brand, shouldn't be posting twenty to five times a day, but like we're a news page, so we can get away with it. Yeah, you don't want to see a goat case 25 times, but with different rap videos and memes and clips and people and cars and all this bullshit, there's plenty of content that you could be posting, albums coming out. I mean, there's everything that you could pull from. Yeah, exactly. Man, that makes uh, my sort of last question here in this phase, and I'm going to use it as a catch all. This is along the same lines, just talking to a bunch of first timers, myself, the followers. What have I missed, right? We started this call and we talked about what it takes to purchase an account, your evaluation process, the risk that's involved. We talked about how to scale your accounts, both organic and paid strategies. And we've talked about how to start to make money, monetize your accounts, uh, primarily through the affiliate links. There's also paid engagements and shout outs. And what have I not covered here? Are there any sort of final thoughts, tricks, tips in this book of wealth that you have here in Florida, man? I would say final thoughts are honestly, for me, what helped the most and how I was able to get success on all stages is not being scared to find out the leaders in, in whatever vertical you're in, ask them for questions, ask them for help, 
network with people, you know, get you know, see if they can point you in the right direction. Like putting yourself out there helps no matter what business you're in, what vertical in life. So just like dropping your ego and not being scared to say you don't know and you want to you want to find out or at least just hear people's perspective on what they think has been, I think, critical. Yeah, uh, I love that, man. And along those, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. The folks that want to reach out to you or connect with you, engage with you, what's the best way to make that happen? Where can they find you at? Instagram, I'm at Dapper, D-A-P-P-E-R. Twitter, I am Dan Snow. If you want to email me, dan at thesnowagency.com. So yeah, those are all three good ways to find me. Cool. I will have those links, lots of the resources that we've discussed. I'll have those linked in the show notes. I have a entire podcast transcript on my website, Roads to Wealth. You guys can find that there. This was killer, man. I really, really appreciate you doing this. Awesome, awesome content. You're an expert at the craft, dude. It shows through. I appreciate your time. Thank you. And, and ho- hopefully help that help, help that least one person out. Yeah, man. You definitely did. You got lots of ears. For the listeners, I appreciate you guys, uh, your continued sort of support and engagement. Thank you guys for tuning in this week and supporting the show. That's all I have for you folks. Until next week, stay on that grind. Called him a wizard in the introduction, and there is no better word or adjective to describe this man. I, I also called myself a dinosaur, and that is the absolute truth in the world of social media. I was both excited and honestly a bit nervous heading into this interview because of my greenness, my lack of expertise, but man, did Dan come through. Tons of great content in this podcast from growth hacks to different strategies to monetization. Really, it's just the overall entrepreneur mindset and the spirit shines through in this episode. I've gone back. I've captured most of the growth hacks, the nuggets within this show, And I've layered these into a PDF that I send out to many of my listeners and followers. How to run a giveaway properly. What does it look like to leverage your network and grow that network? The best places to funnel your marketing dollars and the do's, don'ts, and risks of when you're trying to make money in the social media world. If you're interested in that giveaway or you just have feedback, questions for me, You can accomplish both of those on my website, roadstowealth.com. I'm extremely grateful for the continued support throughout the weeks, the last year-ish. This has been an awesome journey and I appreciate the continued support. Until next week, that's all I have for you. Give someone a hug and stay on your grind. Financially speaking, uh, I've been finding blessings. 
do all of these demons uh, I pray to God I give you something to reach with uh, Say I give you something to leave with This life about goals and achievements Your eyes on the prize, the head out your mind And pray to whatever beliefs in Teach on the way, know that the beach on the way Gotta shine hard and the teachers water Know that little seed, they gon' grow tomorrow So every day gotta come with us So they give you something to stand on Make the fast off when you land raw Make you put some new friends on It's the road of the world I do it for help, yeah. My kids and my spouse, yeah. I financially sound, bad dad. It's the road of the wealth, yeah. I do it for help, yeah. My kids and my spouse, yeah. I financially sound, you the bad dad.